Thank you, Jedediah and team. I just have really one word in response to that song. Mercy. That was... Amen. Um, I really enjoy to uh, read stories of people uh, coming to faith in Christ and receiving Christ. And every once in a while, one personal testimony seems to connect uh, with uh, where we're going on a particular morning in the message. And I found one of those stories, a woman by the name of Mary Ellen Rothrock. And she was telling, she's older, she was telling about her experience in the 1960s, and she was on the University of Wisconsin's college campus. She was a grad student uh, in English, and she says this about her experience about the campus. First and foremost, she said, despair seemed to permeate the student body, especially those in the humanities. A fellow graduate student summed it up cynically like this, playwright Samuel Beckett is right, man is just a piece of trash in a universe that's running down. Not necessarily a motivational speaker type phrase that's there, but she was kind of trying to encapsulate the, the, the despair that was on the campus that people felt, uh, a life devoid of something greater. Mary Ellen writes, in college, atheism became my religion. Yet when I got into grad school, I found myself seeking to fill a spiritual void in my life. I began practicing transcendental meditation, or TM. Of course, it was the 60s. Of course, that's what she started to practice. She said, I met periodically with a TM supervisor after a year or so of meditating. I mentioned that I had a recurring thought when I was trying to concentrate on my mantra. It's a line from Handel's Messiah that kept breaking into her thoughts. Something in my mind keeps repeating, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. It's not necessarily convenient for an atheist practicing <laughs> transcendental meditation. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. That was somewhat problematic for her, so she brought that to her TM advisor. And the TM advisor said, no, you simply need to ignore those words. Of course, that's what the TM advisor said. But to her... The words seemed to come from not herself, but something beyond. And she said, I told myself that these aren't just random thoughts as suggested. She said, somewhere along the line, it hit me that the phrase, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, was invitation. It was invitation from the God she didn't believe in. Invitation to seek him. She said within months, she met a woman who explained how she could have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. 
She says, as I heard the words from the Bible, from this woman, the words from the, the music score made sense. And the Holy Spirit, she now knows, convicted her of truth, that the God she hungered for, the personal God, he loved me. Hallelujah for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. I love that story in a number of reasons. One is because I love how she recognizes what is true to so many of us, especially when we live a life absence, in the absence of God, this, this spiritual vacuum, this spiritual void, this hunger for something more that connects with, with my personal story even I considered myself a Christian, but when I went off to, to, to school, I, I longed for something deeper. I had probably too much fun in high school. We won't go down that road. But when I started to have that same kind of fun in college, it felt empty. I was like, there's got to be something more than this. Like... Life can't be just about a good time. I also wasn't too focused. My parents were social workers, so they trained me well. Not to be too focused on the acquisition of great wealth, right? So many people, I'm getting my education so I can acquire more and live the dream. 2.5 children with white picket fence, all those kind of things. I was like, is that it? Is that like... There's got to be something more. I'm, I'm convinced it's not just atheists. It can even be those who ascribe to the Christian faith, but if it's being experienced in such a shallow way, it still connects with something deeper, a longing for more. There's a spiritual void. The other thing I really love about Mary Ellen's story is that she wasn't looking for God, right? Who initiated that divine moment? <laughs> it was God who said, yeah, even though she's kind of playing around over in these circles, I'm going to do something really cool, right? What does that say about God? That he's not in heaven reluctantly going, okay, well, he's seeking me enough. I'll, I'll grant him a little insight. No, this is a God who is actively pursuing people like you and me. He's initiating. He's providing, as she said, invitation to know him. You see, I think this story connects, her story, Mary Ellen's story, connects with Daniel chapter 2 that we're going to turn to. If you've brought your Bibles, would you open them up to me? We will have the words on the screen uh, for you. And, and chapter 2 is really begins with God's initiation 
Last week we talked about how it must have been really disillusioning to Daniel and friends. They were, they were Israelites. They were in the, 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 uh, the nation of Judah or Israel, probably in Jerusalem. And yet even part of the, uh, the, the royal family, perhaps, they were at least royalty. And they were pulled, they were conquered by Nebuchadnezzar, brought to Babylon. I wonder if they had thoughts of what is going on? What, what's happening? They must have. You see, it's interesting that their whole understanding of the world and the purpose of the world, that, that God is God alone, that they are God's chosen people, that their, their whole worship and their life centered in Jerusalem. Now all of that was turned on its head. I wonder if they had questions of purpose and meaning and the existence of God. Chapter 2, God initiates and invites. Let's read together the story. It says, verse 1, In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, he had dreams, probably 604 B.C., his mind was troubled and he could not sleep, so the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. That sounds reasonable, does it not? The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your house is turned into piles of rubble. Yowzers. A different time, a different context. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more, they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it for you. Sounds reasonable, doesn't it? Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. We don't really know for sure how much King Nebuchadnezzar remembered what he dreamed, right? He could have remembered all of it and he's just testing them. Or he's so bothered and disturbed that he needs to know the dream and the interpretation. Regardless of whichever it is, he has firmly decided 
and this is not going well. The astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asked to is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among the humans. Surely King Nebuchadnezzar will respond to reason. Verse 12, this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Because Daniel and friends were part of that. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon. Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. I love those little verses that just remind us and point us to Daniel's character. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time. I think that's interesting. Daniel calmly goes into the king that has just ordered his execution and says, would you give us time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy. Mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, these words are what Jedediah led us in as we prayed to begin the service. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel said to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Now I'm tempted just to read the rest of the word, uh, the chapter, and call it good. It's such a a cool and awesome story. I'm going to invite you to read the rest of the chapter uh, maybe later today. But let me just give you a summation of what the king's dream was. He sees a statue. He saw a large statue. And the head of the statue was gold. We have a picture of that. This is Daniel 2, was gold. Um, And then the, uh, uh, the chest was silver. 
and then the midsection was um, bronze, and then the legs and thighs were, uh, the legs were iron, and the, the feet were iron, a mixture of iron and clay. And what Nebuchadnezzar saw as Daniel interprets, oh, one more thing, I can't forget this, he sees the statue, and then he sees a big rock that is cut from a mountain, and that rock comes and smashes the feet of the statue, and it crumbles. You can imagine, especially if Nebuchadnezzar saw himself as the statue, that that would be bothersome, right? And so he sees that, he explains it, Nebuchadnezzar goes, yes, that's my dream. And then he says, here is what you saw. What God gave and interrupts Nebuchadnezzar's life with is a prophetic dream about the future. And he says, here's what's going to happen. There are four kingdoms great and mighty that will rise. The first is you, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. And then comes the successive, notice the, the, the metals are decreasing in value, so the splendor of the kingdoms will decrease, first gold and then silver and then bronze and then iron, but also increase in, in their strength. And he says, Nebuchadnezzar, these are the four kingdoms that will be raised up in the history. This is, remember, around 604 BC, you are Babylon, then will come Medo-Persia, then will be uh, Greece, and then Rome. Guess what happens in history? Exactly that. He says, and what the rock is, the rock is Jesus, a little picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. He comes and he smashes the statue and the rock represents the kingdom of God that will be established forever and ever. Guess what? We are still living in this prophetic dream given to Nebuchadnezzar. How amazing and incredible is this? And I want to ask this question. Was it just for Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel and the wise men that God interrupts Nebuchadnezzar's life and gives him this dream? Was it not for us today? Was it not for us to hear and recognize God's initiation with us? Does he not want to do what he was doing thousands of years ago and bring revelation and understanding and draw us to himself? Can I get a yes for you and me? So let's ask the question, what is God wanting to reveal to us in this prophetic dream? I want to suggest he's revealing some things. He wants to teach us some things about himself first and foremost, about who he is. That God, first and foremost, is a God who is over and is decided upon and is directing the history of our world. 
I don't know if Nebuchadnezzar was thinking that he was a conquered God, that he was an omnipotent God, um, a, a powerless God. He probably doesn't know why he allowed him to conquer the people Israel, but now he understands that his conquering of, of the, the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah was actually part of God's plans. That he raised Nebuchadnezzar up, put him in place, and empowered him as the, the head of gold. In fact, what's interesting is how this chapter ends. We didn't read that, but if you read Pastor uh, verse passage 46. Actually, I'm going to read a little bit beforehand because I love verses 45. This is Daniel's drop the mic moment. He finishes sharing the statue and Daniel says, the great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and the interpretation is trustworthy. Bam, drop, walk away. Daniel brings it. Listen to Nebuchadnezzar's response. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor. King Nebuchadnezzar, the bully on the block, the, the, the main power, the, the deception of he maybe thinking he might be divine, right? He lays down and he recognizes the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now he makes a little bit of mistake in this next part of the verse. He, he ordered that an offering and an incense be presented to Daniel, maybe somewhat deity type things, right? He doesn't have his theology awesome, but the king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. What a statement. The king gets it right. He is God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries. I think the Lord wants us to know that. Especially if we wrestle with that spiritual vacuum. Especially if we wrestle with that meaninglessness. That idea of there's got to be something more. There's got to be someone who's directing. There's got to be something greater than just my, my life and my family and acquisition of wealth. There's, there's got to be something more. And God is saying, there is. There is a divine director of history. I'm working in this world. I'm directing the great events. And he's inviting you and me to be a part of that. We'll get to that. Now he's thinking about how this revelation represents a contrast here. And I want to go a little bit deeper with you all. 
is that not only is he a great and awesome and powerful God, and yet in one sense he's so very small, I mean it in this way, he's so very personal. And in fact, I think this story reveals that other side of who he is as well. Listen to um, Isaiah, a prophet, because it puts this particular tension right in a couple of verses. It says, for this is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place. Where does God live? In a high and holy place. He lives somewhere else as well. But also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. It's interesting, Daniel's words when he said, when he praises God and says, you depose of kings and you raise others up. Did you catch the last part of his language? It's a lot of me language and personal language. He says, that 23, you have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. So not only is Daniel praising God for the great and awesome God, but he's also like, you know me. You heard our prayers. You, you, you did. You, you worked. You drew us in. Praise you, God. This idea of God is great and awesome, and yet individuals are on his radar screen. I was meeting with a, a dear friend, and I was trying to encourage her in her faith about Abba Father's deep love for her. And that she gets to call the God of the universe Dad, Abba Father. And she said to me, Eric, you have a special connection with, with him, unlike most of us. I hear what you're saying, but I just don't think for most of us it works that way. And I said to my friend, you know, you're partly right. He's made it very clear to me that I am his favorite. But so are you. But so are you. Yeah? Remembering the, the, the movie The Shack or the book The Shack. In the movie Octavia Spencer is playing God the Father. And throughout the, you know, they talk about a person. And she from time to time, oh yeah. He's one of my favorites. And she keeps saying that and saying that. And you get the idea. Oh yeah, that, really? That I get to be his favorite. So do all of you, but still, 
He, he knows me. He loves me. I get to, to pray and, and discern his voice. I get to press into a life with him. I'm on his radar screen. The great and awesome God. I think that's part of what he's wanting to teach us. I wanted to share a key to intimacy with you that uh, comes from that Isaiah passage. Isaiah does not say he dwells in holy, highly high places and dwells with those who've got it all together and life makes sense and they never have doubts. What does it say? With the lowly in spirit. I want to suggest that's the key to intimacy with God. If you want to hear his voice like Marilyn asked, if you want to grow in him, start with this verse in Isaiah. Now, I want also, I believe, that this chapter is teaching us something about our role in history about who we are and, and the invitation for us to be a part of his story. Yes? Again, would you think in terms of contrast? You're going you're gonna to feel like I'm saying two different things, but I want you to think a little bit more about yourself than you do. And I want you to think a little bit less about yourself than you do. Can you hold these two things in contrast, right? Let's start with the less. You guys need to hear the less first, all right? That I believe that God invites us into humble cooperation with the Lord in this world. You've heard it said, perhaps, if you've read uh, on the internet or you've heard celebrities or, or folks talk like this, that we need to create your own destiny. You need to fashion your own reality. You need to be the master and the captain of your own soul. Would you, would you create meaning, your own meaning in your life? That is not biblical. That is not Jesus. That is not what the Lord is saying to us. We don't create our own destiny. He creates destiny. We don't speak our own reality. He is the reality. We don't create our own truth. He is the truth. And we listen for that. Daniel is a beautiful example of humble cooperation. I'm sure he had absolutely no idea what he was doing in King Nebuchadnezzar, right? He had no idea what this meant. And he's like, hey guys, pray or we're not going to be here for very long, right? He's praying and he seeks. And then once Daniel is given revelation, listen to when he goes to the king. We didn't read this part, but look at verse, verse 30 with me as well. If you haven't, he says, as for me to the king, this is before he does the mic drop. He says, 
This mystery has been revealed to me not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive. Even though we know from chapter 1 he had 10 times wisdom than anyone else, right? He says, but it's for, for your majesty that you may know the interpretation that God may understand what went through your mind. He was saying, God is at work. God is initiating. God is doing this. And by the way, I'm just listening. I'm praying. I want you to know that king. It didn't keep the king from offering incense to Daniel, but still, he's communicating that truth. This humble cooperation, I believe that that's the invitation that he's inviting us into that place of humble cooperation, of listening. Now, here's the other side. I want you to think a little bit more of who you are. Look at verse 36 with me when he talks about King Nebuchadnezzar and his role in history. He says this, this was the dream and now we will interpret it to the king. Verse uh, 37, your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands, he has placed all of mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them. You are the head of gold. Does that verbiage about King Nebuchadnezzar remind you of anything? What's that? Who said it? Genesis. Who in Genesis? Adam. I should have put Adam and Eve. Put If you have a pencil, write Adam and Eve because that verse was there for both of them. This is the part of the kingdom mandate that Adam and Eve originally heard, right? They heard, be fruitful and multiply. We all remember that one, right? Right? But then what does he say after that? Look at Genesis again. This is to Adam and Eve. He says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and... Interesting. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Did you know we're still living under that kingdom mandate? Did you know, he says, never forget that you are part of the created. Never forget that I and I alone am God, as Daniel remembers. And yet I'm inviting you to dominion, to rulership, to, to steward this world. I'm directing the events of history and I'm inviting you to play a role. Let me try and make this crazy concept a little practical. I go to college longing for something more and then in the first two years he reveals that I get forgiveness, that I get personal 
relationship with him that I can pray, that I can read, and that I love him. It was huge for me. It changed my life. It transformed my life. First two years in college. Second two years of college, he gave me more revelation. You know what that was? That he was at work on my college campus. And he was inviting me to join him in that work. That he was moving in my fraternity brothers' lives. That he was moving in my friends that I shared the, the house or the apartment with. That, that he was working on this campus. That he was wanting to take the campus, Eastern Illinois University, for his name. And then for the rest of my life, I began to realize that he was working in the, when I moved to a city, Decatur, that he was working in that city. When I moved here in Colorado Springs, I realized he's at work in the city. Do you realize that God is at work in your school, on your campus, in your workplace, in your neighborhood? in your friends. God is initiating whether people realize it or not. And he's saying, listen, this is what I created you for. I created you to be a part of my story. I created you to see yourself in that statue and the work. I created you with this kingdom mandate, right? It makes you want to pull your shirt back and go, yeah. And yet he says, never forget. Humble cooperation is your rule. Don't go like this. Go like this. I want to use you in your relationships. In fact, you might be that one, like the woman that came along, Mary Ellen, and she's hearing Handel's Messiah, and she says, you know what that is? <laughs> That's the Holy Spirit inviting you. And you're perhaps the only Christian in other people's lives to explain God's initiation. So here's what I want to leave you with is that he invites us always to respond to revelation, to respond to him, learning to trust and learning to listen in ever-increasing measure. I thought again of Job when Job said probably one of the most famous lines in all of Job, was not the one we looked at last week, would you just die from his wife? But this one, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. We don't get it. We don't always understand. Daniel says to his friends, guys, plead for mercy. We're in trouble Regardless of the circumstance, God will teach us to trust 
Think of the disciples that said to Jesus, increase our faith. We get to pray that. Get to ask that. And then the learning to listen. I think this points us in the direction of a, of a spiritual discipline that has become so important to me that God is speaking. Not a question of whether he's speaking. He's the revealer of mysteries. It's not a question of whether he's revealing. The question is, are we listening? Are we quieting ourselves? During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Part of Daniel's life modeled for us is not only integrity, but also a life that listens, that, that quiets the heart and the soul and trusts God speaking. Do you know he speaks sometimes through his word. I hope he's been speaking through Daniel today. Sometimes he speaks through music. Boy, he was speaking to me during the worship set today. He speaks through communion. Oftentimes he's simply saying, I love you. I forgive you. But sometimes he speaks very specifically, especially when we ask. Would you listen with me as we pray? Friends, I just feel like he keeps saying mercy to me. <laughs> mercy. Is there, is there an attitude or a thought about who he is? that he wants to challenge and correct. He is a God of chesed, of mercy, of grace, of love. We live under his mercy. If there's any thought about him that is more King Nebuchadnezzar-ish than truly who he is, he wants to challenge that. Would you lay that before him? Father, would you teach us more of who you are, more of your son, who he is and a reflection of you? Lord, we come to this table Lord, help us to see it as a table of mercy, of grace. That you are inviting 
You are inviting us to this table to receive your mercy this morning. There is nothing that you and I have done that is outside of the mercy of God. If there's anything that's still clinging to your soul, would you bring that into the flow of mercy that's happening in this moment from the throne room of heaven? Jesus, we confess that you died for our sins. And it's by your mercy they are covered in your blood. I want to invite the elders forward. The third Sunday of the month, we do communion by intinction. You leave your section to the right, come forward, and we, we take the communion by taking the cracker and dipping it into uh, the juice there. Remember, this is powerful, sacred symbol. If for whatever reason, germs and so forth, you don't feel comfortable dipping all the way, that's okay. You don't have to. Um, but it's the symbol of his shed blood and his broken body that provides mercy for us in this morning. It was the night that Jesus was betrayed, that he took the unleavened bread, knowing that his disciples, his apostles, would need mercy, not just in that moment, but in so many moments to come. He took it, blessed it, and broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In similar way, he took the cup after dinner, and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever we take this cup, the body and the blood, we proclaim Christ's great sacrifice for us, that in his mercy, he washes us clean. We also proclaim that he will return again. And in that moment, the kingdom of God will be fully consummated. That statue that vision, the prophetic vision, will be fully completed and he will make all things new. If you are a follower of Christ, would you come and receive his mercy today? Mercy. Mercy. It's flowing from his throne room right now. He's inviting you. Take hold of his mercy every morning. 
every moment. Would you trust him? Would you learn to trust him? In the dark days, in the valley days, in the struggle days, in the confusing days, in the lost days, by his mercy, would you trust him evermore? In the good moments, in the moments of favor and blessing, would you hear his voice? Because it's those moments that are full of mercy as well. If you want to receive prayer, be blessed. Please come forward. We have a few folks who would love to pray for you. Worship team will continue. Go in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Would you walk in his mercy? Amen.